love to have you then take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Hebrews chapter 10 and the sermon notes in your bulletin. I know that you'll want those as well. They will help you make sense of where I'm going and it'll give you some idea of when I'm about done. So that's a double benefit, I know, to having sermon notes like that. So Hebrews chapter 10, we're working our way through this whole book, whole letter. It's a long letter, really 13 chapters and full of so much good stuff. Um, looking at last week's text, Hebrews 10, 1 through 18, um, I am aware that last week I asked you to do a lot of heavy lifting with me. Uh, it was a substantive text, uh, theologically and in length. We covered a lot. So thank you for, for taking that journey with me. Now, of course, today's text, much shorter, only seven verses, and different in tone. So I, I, I think uh, a little easier to wrap your arms around, but nonetheless, it's a day where other, other weeks you might say that was really theological. Today you might say, okay, that wasn't so much theological, but you were just messing with my life. Uh, that's going to be a little more of today, all right? And if that's grossly uncomfortable, well, I, I guess you'll have to differentiate between what's me messing with your life and the Word of God speaking to your heart. And we'll let the Spirit of God direct you there. Well, I would like to look with you at the first bullet point under review, and then I want to pray together, okay? Under review, uh, which I don't often comment on, here you go. Uh, this is a reminder of what we're doing today. So as the, as the letter to Hebrews is so much theology, at this point, this text is saying, as I put it there in my own words, don't just sit there and listen and nod. This text is highly applicational. And I will be asking you along the way today, so how do you do this? How do you obey that? That's what I'll be asking you to think about. So just giving you a heads up, all right? How do you do this? It's in the Bible. I think we're supposed to do this. How do you do it? Or maybe you should start. So these are things to think about, and we'll need God's help to, to, to do that. And I would love to pray together with you. Let's ask God's help as we come to his word. Our Father, we, we find great joy in opening the word of God together, this uh, foundational aspect of, of our church life, of coming together Sunday mornings and in three different sessions, opening the Word of God together and, and meeting with you. So I thank you that we could worship today in our singing and we could worship in our praying and in the other elements of family life. And I thank you now that we get to worship in hearing and, and loving and then obeying the Word of God. And it's our desire that we would come ready to hear from you today. So, so work in us today is our prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. So I want to read the text, and then I'll say a few things under that little heading called today's text, and then we'll, we'll work through this text uh, under the headings that follow. But let's hear the word of God then. Hebrews 10, verses 19 to 26. Uh, verse 25, rather. It reads like this. Therefore, brothers... Since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, 
For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Okay, God's word. Now, I I, want to just look with you under the section called today's text at a little bit of structure, okay? Uh, First of all, of course, you remember the book of Hebrews, in terms of its setting, is, is written from an unnamed author, unnamed writer, to what would appear to be a group of Jewish Christians, people with Jewish background for the most part, who've now come to Christ, probably living somewhere near the city of Rome, okay? First century, probably, I mean, it would have seen before the destruction of Jerusalem, some of these other elements, probably, probably pretty early on. But nonetheless, Jewish Christians, and here's the thing, they're struggling to understand how the story of Jesus meshes with their Jewishness. They believe that Jesus is, is the Christ, the Messiah, but, but there's a lot of Jewish elements in, in the book of Hebrews, and they're trying to make sense of this, and they're struggling to hang in there. They need to, they need to endure. We've seen this over and over again. The book of Hebrews, if it's anything, is a call to endurance, and it's based on Christ as the great prophet, priest, and king the great reasons for us to endure. So that's what's going on. And we have, we have moved through a lot of, of just powerful teaching about Jesus as our great prophet, priest, king. And this text then, verses 19, 20, and 21, it's a summary and an application. So that's what's going on. So 19, 20, 21 is not intended to present new truth. It's intended to summarize the past teaching section that we've worked through over the past several months. So I'm not going to, to, to deal with it in great depth, but un, only under this heading that you see there in a moment, biblical faith has its implications. Now, verses 19 and 21, some structure things, okay? You'll notice, as I read, the ESV uses the word since twice. So it's, it's drawing a conclusion. Since this and since this kind of like a therefore. There's an implied therefore at the beginning of verse 22. Since this, or I think the New King James, having and then having. So there's a sequence, and it's building toward a conclusion. So those are the, that's the beginning, the foundation. Because of this, because of this. Now, in the middle, verses 22 to 25, there are three exhortations. Those, are all, those begin with the words, let us. Let us this. Let us this and let us this. And then I want to just make a comment on the conclusion at the end of verse 25. The day. This is moving toward the day. He wants this on their mind. All the more do these things as you see the day drawing near. Now, in the ESV, the day is capitalized because it has a specific day in mind. And it isn't a day like, like next Thursday or something like that. But, but there's a specific day he's got in mind, and he's saying, pay attention to what I'm saying to you more and more as you see this day drawing near. Now, in the Bible, starting Old Testament, there's a lot of teaching in the prophets about what's called the day of the Lord. 
The day of the Lord. The day of the Lord is coming. Book of Joel and so on. The locusts, man, the day of the Lord. And as you come to the New Testament, you find similar expressions about the day. Now, my intent today is not to deal with all the teaching around certainly the day of the Lord and even the New Testament elements, but I want to highlight this. The day, as you see it there in that phrase, could be summarized, boiled down to the day when you see Jesus. The day when, when history is wrapped up, not only the day of your death, but the day when history itself has been drawn to the conclusion that God has ordained. And I, I highlight this because of this. That is going to be a day when, if you're a Christian, you'll see Jesus. That will be a day when those things that are wrong, that deeply trouble your soul, will be settled. That'll be the day when those things that are left hanging are resolved. That'll be a great day. So the writer is using the day as a motivation here. The day is coming. There's a surety here, this great day. And he's wanting that awareness to be on the mind and the heart of his readers, listeners. As you see the day drawing near, do these things, these three exhortations, do them with greater intensity and passion because the day is coming, okay? So that's a backdrop. I hope that the day, the day when you, when it's all done and we're with the Lord, I hope that that, is, that presses on your mind and your heart. Because it, it, if, you, if it does, it changes the way you deal with frustration and all kinds of things because there's, you, you know there's coming a day when the things that just, burden my soul, will be settled. They'll be taken care of. The day is coming, okay? Now, I give you all that just to give some structure, and I move then to verses 19 to 21, and you see my headings. Uh, Just a couple of comments on those early verses and then right into those three exhortations. So biblical faith, I'm saying here, has implications. And here he's drawing uh, uh, his previous teaching to a conclusion. I put here in front of you, as followers of Jesus, we can enter God's presence with boldness because Jesus Christ has paid for our sins and we're covered with his righteousness. That's what he's been teaching about for several chapters. We have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus. We can draw near to him in saving faith and in fellowship and friendship. We can, we can come near to God. And then, and then verse 20 has that interesting analogy um, between the, the body of Jesus and the Old Testament curtain. We'll comment a little more on that in a minute um, under another heading. But I'm going to go straight then to verse 21. He's saying, again, in summary, we have a great high priest. I put on your sermon notes here, a mega high priest, because that's the term that's used uh, in the text. I don't know if it's 7-Eleven or who, somebody out there. If they don't, they'll hear this sermon and they'll go, oh, we should do that. They use the term mega for like a really big drink or something. 7-Eleven, you have, you know, little tiny ones that nobody buys. And then, you know, big gulps or whatever they're called, big ones with more fat and calories and sugar than your mother would ever let you consume in a day. You know, heart attack in a cup. Okay, mega. It's really, really big. Not just big. It's really big. It's mega. Well, that's the, that's the term, and it means what you think. It's a term that the writer uses to talk about the, the great high priest you have in Christ. Not just a high priest. Not just a really cool high priest. A mega high priest. And he, again, he's been building this case, and I spelled out some of it here in your sermon notes. You have a high priest that is one who, 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 who welcomes you into the presence of God, has paid the price for you to be there, who can sympathize with your weaknesses, 
which is a very big deal. He can sympathize with your weaknesses. He's a priest forever. He ever lives to make intercession for us. He is seated at the right hand of God. He's completed his his work of atonement for our sins. We have a great high priest. One of the texts is translated, we have exactly the high priest you need. Okay? You have exactly the one that you need. It's perfect for you. We have a great high priest. And the point of verses 19, 20, 21, as a conclusion, it's saying biblical faith, this, this teaching has implications. And so I move right to verse 22, and I put on your sermon notes, therefore, implied, it's implied, those are the three let us statements. So therefore, verse 22, draw near. Therefore, draw near. He says, let us draw near with a true heart, in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Now, I'd like you to think about this with me, please, this drawing near and and track with this. I believe what the writer has in mind is not, not simply the drawing near that is involved in saving faith. Now, he's not talking about less than that. I think it's more. All right? So he is saying drawing near. He isn't just saying draw near, come to Christ and be saved. I think he means that, but more. So it's a drawing near that's a perpetual drawing near. It's a coming near to God. It's a knowing his presence. Now, I, I, again, I note here in front of you on your sermon notes, this concept is a major theme in the Bible. Okay? If you study the Bible from beginning to end, there are a number of themes that you'll find running all the way through. For one, giving evidence of its common authorship as coming from the hand of God. But the idea of drawing near begins in the book of Genesis. Uh, Adam and Eve, before they sinned, you'll remember, you'll identify with this especially, it says they walked with God in the cool of the evening. Isn't that interesting? Adam and Eve walked with God right in his presence. I don't know what that looked like or what did they say, but it's like debriefing your day right there with, with, with God. They walked with God in the cool of the evening. Now, sin, of course, Genesis 3, breaks that. And the tragedy of sin, you understand, isn't just they shouldn't have done that. They ate the fruit. They ate the fruit. They shouldn't have done that. I know, I know. But, but because of that moment, friendship with God was broken. The drawing near process was interrupted, shattered. That's, that's part of the great tragedy of what happened in Genesis 3, was that drawing near, that walking with God in the cool of the day. Man, it's broken. Oh, it's broken. Now, the story of redemption, I'll comment on some of those things in just a second here, draws its conclusion. I'm looking at this theme. You go all the way ahead to, to, to Revelation 22, and what do you find again? Well, guess what? You, just like at the beginning, there was a garden. You go to the end, there's a garden, there's a tree. Great similarities between Revelation 21 and 22 and Genesis 1 and 2. Very striking. And also in, in, in Revelation 22 then, it talks about part of the glory of heaven, it says, God himself will be among them and be their God. Isn't that interesting? A, a, a final drawing near, a basking in his presence, being safe with him. Here he is. So, Now, backing up into that story of redemption, this drawing near goes all the way through. I'll comment more using your study notes here in a second. Jesus, of course, Redeemer, Savior, he he came and tabernacled with us. He dwelt among us. 
Do you go back further toward the Psalms? You have expressions in the Psalms, like Psalm 73, where the writer says, as for me, the nearness of God is my good. Or as in another translation, as for me, it is good to be near God. Now, I put a couple of other texts here, and I'm jumping around just a little bit between uh, where I'm going. 1 Peter 3.18, fourth bullet point, uh, Peter would say, Christ also died for sins once for, once for all, the just for the unjust, in order that he might bring us to God. He might bring us as part of the heritage of a child of God is access to him, not only in saving faith again, but in, in friendship. And uh, I, the, Ephesians 2, it should be verse 18. That's a mistake, my part, on the sermon notes. It's not Ephesians 2.8, it's Ephesians 2.18, where Paul says, through him, through Christ, we have access by one spirit to the Father. But, but my second bullet point there, top of that page, among the many truths illustrated by the tabernacle of old, Hebrews says a lot about this, all right? You'll, you'll remember that the, the separating of the guilty sinner from the presence of God is profound and deeply grieving. You remember, remember a couple weeks ago, I had a, a drawing of the tabernacle, And among the many lessons taught by that tent in the wilderness, Old Testament times now, if you're familiar with the Bible, it goes way back. There was a tent, like the tent of meeting, and it had the holy place and then the holy of holies, okay? Part of the lesson here uh, was a sinner like us wanting to come near to God was stopped at the gate. Isn't that interesting? It's like you'd have a sign that say this far, but no further. And it's because we're guilty of stuff. That's why. And so a, a, a person wanting to come near to God would be stopped at the gate. Only these special high priests could go, could go in. And then for them, there's a laver, a place to wash, a wash basin, and then a sacrifice, an altar for sacrifices, and all these things that would say, as you come closer to the presence of God, you better have your hands clean, there better be atonement for sin, and then you're going to come inside, and there's other elements in this place. And then in the very back, the Holy of Holies, a place where the high priest, remember we've talked about this, the, the high priest went once a year, uh, Day of Atonement, so the, 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 the sinner, though, the guilty person, the you and the me, could only come so far. And from there, you sent somebody else. See? Now, the point of this text, of course, is we don't have to do that anymore because Christ has opened the door. Christ in his body, that's verse 20, as I referred to, that we would comment on it again. Here it is. In his body, as his body was torn on the cross, as he died on the cross, it's kind of like, that, that veil being torn. Matthew's gospel refers to that, by the way, of course, when Jesus died on the cross, that the veil in the temple at that time was torn in two from top to bottom. So Christ, so Christ took down that stay away sign. And instead of the stay away sign, he puts up another one that says, no, draw near, draw near, draw near. Now, um, if you'd like to study more about this, Ed Welch, who's a writer that I refer to a lot, he's a biblical counselor, uh, does a lot of teaching, a lot of books that I have recommended to you over the years, written by him. This is from early 2020. It's a theology of drawing near to God. It's, it's entitled, Created to Draw Near. All right, it's, it's got some substantive reading in it. 
some pretty good-sized co- uh, uh, concepts for you to get a hold of. Our life as God's royal priest. And his, the, the point of it is this. In the Old Testament, you, you had to be a special class, like a Levitical priest, to go close to God. And he's saying, because of Jesus, that's you. Not a Levitical priest, but, but a, a priest nonetheless who can enter the very presence of God. So I'm saying to all of us today then, verse 22 let us draw near. It's a, it's a wonderful theme in Scripture. For, for a, a season, Old Testament, you've got to stay away, only draw near through others, and then in Christ. No, no, the, the, the door is wide open. Now come, now come. Now, I mentioned as well, as I jump around into that section, not only those other texts that I've referenced and many others in the New Testament, I mentioned C.S. Lewis in the Chronicles of Narnia. If you're a Narnia what do you call a Narnia fan? A Narniaite? Is that, is that would that be a word? Narnian? I don't know. That would be a real Narnian. That'd be like a fawn or a centaur or something. I don't know. Well, to the non-Narnia fans, I'm so sorry. Um, I know this is a hard bridge to to, to, to cross, but nonetheless, uh, in the Chronicles of Narnia, C.S. Lewis captures this point over and over and over again. He illustrates it. Aslan, the great lion, the, the, the Christ figure, is frightening to behold. Appropriately so. But people are, are again and again invited to draw near, aren't they? And you have all kinds of examples of that. The children, you know, you remember the, I think it's in the lion, the witch, and the wardrobe. The children saying, um, is a great lion. Is he, is, uh, is he safe? And of course, the conversation with the beavers uh, say, "I'm sorry, you have to know the you have to know the story." Beavers and so on. Mister Beaver, I think, is in it. Sorry, but he says, "Safe? Of course, he's not safe. He's a lion, but he's good. He's good." See, and this is repeated. Uh, you could go to you could go to the magician's nephew, and you find a place where the great lion, the great lion, has a tear in his eye as he thinks about the brokenness of the world. Isn't that interesting? If you go to the voyage of the Don Treader, you will find the great lion drawing near. Remember Eustace stuck in as a dragon? And the great lion must draw near and do surgery that only he can do to deliver the one who's been captured by sin. It's the drawing near of the great lion that brings deliverance. And so we could tell more stories from C.S. Lewis, but he's after this theme, this drawing near. And again, the nearness of God, the drawing near to God is our good. So I'm saying to all of us as followers of Jesus, what's, I, I think what verse 22 is about, certainly coming there in faith and becoming part of the family of God, but more than that, it's about a drawing near that, that's, that's more about enjoying the presence of God than it is about saving faith alone. And I'm going to say a few more words about this later on, but I would ask you this. Is that part of your life? Drawing near for the sheer joy of being in the presence of God, or is that foreign to you? That's something to think about, isn't it? Sometimes we think about drawing near so that we can go to heaven. Other believers before us have learned things about drawing near now to enjoy him 
So I'm just asking you, how do you do that? Or do you? Okay, more on that in a minute. Let's go to verse 23. A second, therefore, implied, of course. Verse 23, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Isn't that good? Let us hold fast. That's the call. So let us draw near, verse 22, and here, let us hold fast the confession of our hope. I don't think by confession of our hope he means the words, the words of our hope. Like, you got to tell people. I don't think that's the point of confession. Certainly not confession of sin here. Let us hold fast the, the confession of our hope without wavering, because he who promised is faithful. On your sermon notes, I, I wanted to put it a certain way, and I'm suggesting it means something like this, that is living with confident assurance. Please watch this, this phrase. I'm going to talk about it, all right? Living with confident assurance that God is fully trustworthy and truly good, and that he holds you today and will hold you tomorrow in his hands. So this is not a, a verse that you just check off and say, sure, I do that. Oh, 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 slow down, please. It's, this, this is, in a sense, I think, asking you if you really believe what you say you believe. You know what I mean by that? You can say you believe stuff, but in the, in the pressure of life, Man, maybe you don't. Maybe you don't. Do do you believe what you say you do? So, for example, in my statement here on your sermon notes, living with confidence and assurance that God is truly trustworthy. Okay, do, do you believe that? And I mean by that, do you believe that God is trustworthy with what he gives and what he doesn't? What he gives and what he takes. Old song, though he giveth or he taketh, God his children ne'er forsaketh. I'm asking, do you believe that? Really, do you? That when God doesn't give what you hoped, rather than saying, well, boy, thanks for nothing, that In his presence, you say, Lord, you said no. I received that from you. This is hard. I'm not asking you about something here that's easy. This is very hard work. Knowing that, believing that what God gives and what he doesn't is wise. Man, that's a big deal. If it isn't a big deal to you, I'm telling you, it's a big deal to me. What he gives and what he doesn't what he fixes, what he doesn't. The pressures he leaves to sit on our soul when I wish he would take them away. Come on, don't you think about this? Trustworthy, he's good. Now, the second part, truly good. Man, that's a big deal too. If you, um, if you follow the movements in our day, in the in the collision, if I may say, not just intersection, the collision between uh, faith and culture, then you'll know that in this collision, there are massive shifts taking place in, in the field of apologetics, if you're familiar with this term. Apologetics. It's a, it's a discipline. It's an area of theology that typically people think about it as defending or explaining 
issues of faith. For some of us, that would involve, well, sure. I mean, come on, Josh McDowell, evidence that demands a verdict. I understand. Uh, Some of us were raised with some of these classic apologists who still have a wonderful, wonderful work in ministry. But there's some shifts taking place. Here's what I mean by that. Um, If you chat with the younger generation, many of the questions that they're asking these days aren't the ones addressed by classic apologetics. They're not necessarily asking about the existence of God, although that's a topic. They're not just asking if the you know if there are enough literary fragments to support the you know the inerrancy of Scripture, although that's a topic. Sure. Here's here's a bigger question: Is Christianity good? Is 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 if there is a God, is he good? As I look at things that God says, don't do this and do this, modern day culture, if God says, don't do that, is that good? Is that part of human flourishing? So you think about apologetics and discussing faith, especially with that younger crowd, it isn't just about, well, let me talk to you about the truthfulness of the Bible. I, I got it. But, but is it good? Um, some of the things the Old Testament records about God doing, okay, let's assume they're true. I'm playing into the conversation. I do, I do believe they're true. Um, but a person might say, let's assume they're true. Is that good? Morally. How can you believe that? So it's very interesting to watch these shifts. So I'm asking us as believers, you know, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for the one who promised is faithful. Holding fast the confession of our hope involves holding on to the idea that God is trustworthy and truly good. These are going to be um, played out more in Hebrews 11. In just a few weeks, we're going to be there. So I'm borrowing in a certain sense. Look at Hebrews 11, 6. Uh, similar tones, just a few paragraphs away. Do you believe that? Really, do you? And the call here is to, to this, this group of believers, and then therefore to us, hold on to that. In a day when this is wavering like crazy and people are doubting the goodness of God, no, you hold on to this. You hold on to this truth. You hold on to him because he's faithful. He will keep all of his promises. He will He will draw all of human history to the conclusion he has ordained. No, he will. He will be there, by the way. Now, I just gave you a list on your sermon notes here, God keeping all his promises. Here are just a few and I'm just saying he's going to keep all these. The writer to the Hebrews is, has been talking about this for a number of chapters. He's been spelling out some of these promises. So in chapter 4, 14 to 16, uh, we come with boldness into his presence to receive mercy and to find grace to help in time of need. That's a, that's a promise. You'll find mercy with him. Come, come boldly. He'll welcome you anytime. Chapter 7, verse 25, he'll He'll save to the uttermost, that is, save completely and forever those who come to God through him. That's a promise. He will. You come in faith through Christ, he will save you completely and forever. There, there's a promise. And similarly, the next one, chapter 10, verse 17, um, the the, the writer referring to, to Jeremiah 31, new covenant promises, this is where he says, your, your, your sins and your lawless deeds, God says, your sins and your lawless deeds I will remember no more. I mean, do you, do you hear this? That's a promise from God. When you come in faith through Christ, your sins and your lawless deeds 
I will remember, that is remember against you, no more. And there the writer uses the double negative. That it's bad grammar in English and wonderful grammar in biblical languages, New Testament Greek. Double negative is wonderful in New Testament Greek. I will remember your sins and your lawless deeds. No, I mean it. No more. Let me tell you something. That's a promise that if you're a sinner, you understand what I mean by that? You are. That's amazing news. I can come to God through Jesus and he, because of, because of what Christ did, he will remember against me no more my offenses against him. He said so. Your sins and your lawless deeds, I will remember against you no more. Man, that's good. Chapter 12, verse 10. He will bring good out of the pain in my life. He will. He will. In chapter 13, that's a mistake. It should be verse 5. He will never leave you nor forsake you. There's no verse 59. Don't look for it. 13 verse 5, my fault. 13 5. He'll never leave you nor forsake you. Okay, and then, and then the third, therefore, or let us. Verse 24 attached to verse 25. We'll go here. Uh, I'd say quickly, but maybe not. Uh, verse 24 then, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good deeds. So let us draw near, let us hold fast, and then let us consider one another. Now, often in reading verses 24 and 25, people go right away to verse 25, and preachers like to wax eloquent on how this is a command to go to church. And, uh, you know, I would never be one to say, don't go to church, but that's not really the point of the text. Really, that's a, verse 25 is a supporting statement to verse 24. And verse 24 is really the main point. You can go to church and still skip verse 24. Okay? Verse 24 then says, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. And I put in your sermon notes here, Christianity is not intended to be a spectator sport. That is, watch from a distance. This can be very up close and personal and very uncomfortable. But God intended that Christians would, would serve each other by helping each other grow and be encouraged and do life together. Okay? That, that's the deal. Christianity is not intended to be a spectator sport. And I, I said here in front of you, this has, not been, this has been rather a huge tension this past year. Uh, now, I, I, I don't give much press time to pandemics and things like that. I, that's, and I hope you're going to understand everything I'm about to say, but I'm going to say it anyway. Not, not commenting on, on all of that, and I'm not, I'm not calling into question anybody's decisions this last year. So don't just trust me on this. Okay, but having said that, this has been a big problem the last year. Here's what I mean. Way back at the beginning of this little party that we've had uh, back in March of last year, when we first had the call to shut things down, okay, we did, 10 weeks, close it down. Uh, Really miserable to do church like that. Like, let me just tell you, to show up here and to try to preach and there are no eyes, there's a camera. It's awful. If you say something maybe interesting, it just looks at you. If you said something that might possibly be funny, no reaction. This is awful. So, okay, I let it go. But, but here's the thing. Okay, for 10 weeks, we were closed down. I got it. I remember when I first heard the announcement on the public airways of here's where we need to go. And I, I, get, I get it, I get it, I get it, I get it. Please believe me that I do. However, um, right away, I, I thought, oh, that violates the Bible so bad. Because it said that you can, you can just worship at home. Do you see any problem with this? 
Because I do. Because Christian worship was never intended to be something you watch on a screen. Can you worship there between you and Jesus? Of course, I didn't say not. So leave me alone. I didn't say that, okay? But I'm saying Christian worship is more than that. And that more was gone. And I knew right away when I heard the statements, here's what you're just, it's not a big problem. You're going to go and sit in some church anyway and just stare at them, and then you're going to leave, and you just sit there and stare at a screen. I just thought, this person, whoever that is, Lord bless them all, and Lord keep them, they don't know Christian worship. They probably haven't read their Bible in at least a week. Because if they did, they would know that what they said just doesn't compute biblically. They would know that. No, no, Christianity was never intended to be a spectator sport. It was never intended to be something you just watched and said, there, second cup of coffee in my bathrobe. I did it. Uh, now, verse 24. So, so I'm pressing on this. Let it, here's the point. Let us, because of this great teaching about Jesus, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good deeds. A critical person, critical thinking, will quickly say, well, you don't have to go to church to do that. You can do that by telephone or email. And certainly my social media account has been incredibly encouraging to everybody who's read it. I just want to know, did you do any of that? So did you? Well, you could just call them. I know, did you? Write them a note. Did you? Email everybody in your, did you? I'm just asking. It's my job. How did you, and how are you? How do you do this? Maybe now. You can go to church and not do this either. How do you consider one another to encourage others to love and good deeds? How do you do that? I'm just asking. Verse 25 then, of course, is attached to that. Not forsaking the assembling of yourself together. Not neglecting to meet together together. It's a problem back then, as is the habit of some. We're not told why some people in this day were skipping church or the assembling of believers. Might have been because, oh, I don't know, they were afraid of getting their head cut off or fed to wild lions. It's possible. So some of them were saying this might be dangerous. And the writer here is going, yep, get back to church. I know you might get eaten by lions. What are you going to do, live forever? I mean, come on, people. It's interesting. Back in that day to say, I know there's people skipping this. Get back here. Very fascinating. Didn't he know the dangers? Yes. What's he say to him? Mm -hmm. Get back here. Get back here. I know it's summer. By fall, I think we should be here. That's what I think. Encouraging one another. All the more as you see the day drawing near. All of that is why as soon as we got word we could reopen in June, we got word on a Friday. This room was torn up, stacks of chairs everywhere. Um, we had cable wires and stuff because the camera was like right here. The sound booth was being redone. This place was a mess. You couldn't see it because it presented well up front. All of us up front could see it. This is great. Friday, we got word we're going to open. We could. And um, I said, we're going to do it. Should we wait a couple weeks and clean the place up? Nope. Shove it out of the way. Throw down some chairs. We're going to do it. We're going we're gonna to do it so that those who are ready to come can, can just come. And let's get going. Let's go again. So that that's kind of explains a little bit about what we did and why. Again, I hope you understand my heart and what I am and I'm not picking on. I'm certainly not picking on anybody and their choices. I'm just saying there's a biblical text here that's after something. And I think it, whether pandemic or no, we've got to be careful that we're doing this. 
We should be considering how to encourage others to love and good deeds. And I want to go to that next little bullet point just for a minute or two. As consumers, I'm going to pick on us in a different area. Okay? I just need you to think about this with me. We are hopeless consumers. What do I mean by that? Okay, your car, you're driving away from church. Hey, uh, how was your morning? Here's the conversation. Well, the music, really like that song. I don't know about that song. That song was, depending on your personality, too fast, too slow, too loud, too quiet, too new, too old. Pick your poison. Something's wrong with all, you know, it's just what it is. It's what worship leaders always encounter. Um, Wasn't my genre. Didn't like that writer. Music was the wrong key. I know, I know, I know. And then the preacher, the preacher, I don't know, man. Wasn't very funny. Didn't tell me good stories. Kind of boring, a little dry today. Kept going on and on and on. Good night. Come on, people, you know. How's the conversation in your car? Is it ever laced with things like this? It was a wonderful morning. I got to encourage so-and-so. Is that what it was? Might have been a train wreck with everything else. Funny smell on the carpet. But the morning was so wonderful because I got to serve in the following ways. Is that how your brain works? I'm not saying there's not a place to discuss the others. I'm introducing some different metrics. Rather than just being consumers, that we would think like, well, how can I encourage others to love and good deeds? And, and maybe that's a metric we should think about a little more. Some of it might be children. Some of our folks come every Sunday and teach our children. That's part of this. Some of the days we languish with enough people to stir up love and good deeds in our children. Did you know that? There are days in the summer here where we do not have enough people to stir up love and good deeds in Station 316. That's something to think about. I could stir up love and good deeds by wiping some little noses and saying, Jesus loves you. No, he really does. That would work. Some of you in this room have done that already this morning. Thank you, by the way. Uh, Let us draw near. Let us hold fast. Let us consider one another to encourage other people to love and good deeds. I want to head toward a conclusion here under this section called Responding to God's Word um, with just just another word or so of challenge. And, and I'm asking you, as I did at the beginning, how do you do these things? That's my question for the morning. How do you go about this? How do you draw near? How do you hold fast? How do you encourage others to love and good deeds? And I, I'm going to comment only in one of these areas. Under the Responding to God's Word point, Uh, Part first bullet point. The invitation to draw near is not simply about being saved. I've said this. It's about drawing near to God, living near to God, what believers in past generations called daily communion with God. And a possible question, is your soul happy in the Lord? Here's here's what I mean by this. Um, One of the writers about Christians of yesteryear, I like to study this. It's called historical theology in part, where you look at how Christians in past years understood faith and how they walked with God. Okay? You can study this. So in one of those areas, J.I. Packer has a book on the Puritans. I think it's called The Puritans, creatively. And one of the things that he says is, uh, and here's my, here's my paraphrase of this, uh, the Puritans of old differ from today's evangelicals in that, for them, daily communion with God was a great thing, To evangelicals today, it is a relatively small thing. Isn't that interesting? Daily communion with God. And what he's pressing on is, to the believers of old, 
time with the Lord, drawing near to enjoy his presence, to be with him, was a bigger deal. We tend to come in with our little bucket and say, I have three minutes. Fill it up. That's, I mean, really, come on, I got to go. Here we go. Thank you. And off we go. I, I know differences of time and busyness and commutes. I, I, I really do understand but, but Packer is just saying to the Puritans of old, this several generations of men and women who lived before God found it, found it helpful to spend time with the Lord simply to enjoy him and to be with him. Of whom it could be said, Psalm 73, it is good to be near God. Where their conversation no, honestly, with one another, might be peppered with the phrase, like I just wrote there for you. I didn't make that up. Is your soul happy in the Lord? That sounds really weird to us. Our conversations tend to be, man, isn't it hot out there? And how about those mariners? We, we tend to interact like that. Uh, I understand why. I do. But, but the, what would it be like? Uh, weird, weird phrase. Well, what would it be like if we had those kinds of substantive conversations? How, how is it with you and the Lord? And I, 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 I say it all because of this. This last year, you've heard me say it before, and I repeat it here, there's been more than one pandemic this last year. There's the big one that everybody talks about in the news, but that hasn't been the most serious one. Not just for Sunset Bible Church, but there has been a pandemic of discouragement and depression and suicidal thoughts. There, there has been an epidemic there have been churches that have lost more people to those things than a pandemic. All you hear about on the news is the one. Discouragement. Counselors. Let me tell you something. If you, the counselors that we have in our church, their work has blown up this last year. We were talking to one of them a few months ago um, where, where uh, if, you wanted to, if you were going to call and schedule an intake, that's meeting number one, there was a wait time of four months how about that? Hope you're not desperate. I'll see you in four months. See you in October. Have a good life. No, a pandemic. Well, there's more than one. There's, there's been an epidemic of discouragement and depression and struggle, and that's here as well. Uh, you're interacting with, sitting around people who are struggling in all kinds of areas. It's church family. People struggle with those things that I mentioned, family struggles and personal struggles and all kinds of stuff. I won't mention them all because it affects some of us here. I don't want to tell you, think you, that I'm telling your story. It's us. I'm just reminding us here, this business is encouraging one another to love and good deeds and to follow Christ. This is what the church is supposed to be doing. See? So, so, so even if you say, no, I'm doing fine. Who asked? Who asked that? That isn't the main point. There's people right around you who desperately need your encouragement. It isn't just about what you get. It's about what other people need from you and what the body of Christ needs from you. So take these verses seriously, please. How do you do verse 24? How do you? How do you? There are probably people in the sound of my voice now who so could use your friendship, your help, your prayers. So we do dinners in the park we serve coffee, not because it's about dinners or coffee, but because it's a chance to talk. And maybe somebody will say, that's ah, pretty rough right now. And you could say, tell me about it. And something good would happen.
I want to pray for us. I'm going to bolt out the door. Would you stand with me, please? Father, we thank you so much for your word. Uh, Thank you that you call the church to be this kind of a place, a place where together we draw near, not only to get three minutes of encouragement from you, but to get you and to be with you and to enjoy your presence where we hold on to hope because it matters. And we hold on to each other and encourage each other and help each other because we need each other. And Father, I pray that you would build these things at Sunset Bible Church, even in greater measure, that Christ would be honored among us. Thank you for your word this day. In Jesus' great name, amen.